Welcome to the Refuge Church Podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on Refuge Church, or to learn how you can give to this ministry, visit refugejacks.church. on the way up the stairs in case you wondered what just happened. Uh, that was for your joy, um, but you didn't laugh, so thank you. So uh, Ephesians chapter 3, um, now I have to get my composure. So um, Ephesians chapter 3, uh, I want to tell you something cool that happened this week to, to, to me, just how the Lord did something uh, really, really uh, sweet. Um, so um, on Tuesday, uh, I was invited to go down to... Uh, to a, a kind of a conference, small conference, and go share about starting a church in a pandemic, which is what we're still trying to do, right? Um, if you're here today and you're a part of this, we're about eight months in um, of the doors being opened. We did some services online for a while, um, and here we go. Uh, the plan is on Easter to have Easter, and then the following weeks to start doing some membership stuff. Uh, maybe it's a good word, like some classes and whatnot. So just so you know, that's coming. Um, that'll put us at really close to a year, but not quite there yet. So but how do you start a church in a pandemic? So they invited me and they said, hey, get on this stage and tell us how. And I was like, I, I you know, and I shared. And so, but what was really neat was, um, give you the backstory so it all makes sense. Um, about 11 years ago, I was serving as a student pastor in a church in Georgia. Uh, the church, um, anybody experience a church just kind of getting weird? Anybody? It's okay. Like I, I'll do both hands because I've been in a couple of them. Okay, cool. Uh, so maybe you haven't and praise the Lord for that. But they do and they will. And it's because they're led by flawed people. And just, you know, so... So I was serving in this church, and things got weird, and I got fired. I didn't do anything immoral or wrong. Um, if you need to have that conversation, we can. But um, I got kind of just run out. They called me on a Friday, and they said Sunday. Actually, he called me on a Friday, and he said Sunday's your last day. So um, kind of a challenging time. Uh, didn't get severance, so we went into debt pretty quick. Uh, just didn't go well for us. And, and we had this, man, six, eight months where I just didn't have a job. We were poor. This was like after 07's kind of economy crash. And everything was just really challenging. I was probably depressed. I was in counseling just having a hard time in life, um, a local church, probably a lot like Refuge, comes along and says, hey, why don't we hire you? We'll pay you a little bit, like a part-time salary. Uh, we'll give you health insurance, and you can come and spend a year with us. And I said, okay, because I didn't really have any other options. And so I went and served there for a while. Turned out to be a great thing under a great pastor named Stuart, but, but at this... Uh, he invited me to go to this conference, and the conference was held in Orlando uh, at First Baptist Orlando, which is the this huge church. And um, so we went to this conference, and I can remember sitting in this room, um, listening to this guy at this conference 11 years ago, just kind of talking about how he had written all these books and sharing about how you should go start a church, and this is what this should look like. And he was sharing about the joys of what he was experiencing and all these really good things and how we should go start a church. And I can just remember sitting in the back of that room. I mean, I remember as clear as day, uh, angry and bitter and frustrated because I was at a point in my life where I felt like after I got let go at this church that ministry was over for me. I wasn't going to preach anymore. I wasn't going to lead anymore. This was done for me. And I was coming to a conclusion. I've got journals filled with entries of what's next kind of a thing. And I just remember kind of listening to that guy, and, and, and part of me wanted to fight him. I just was really angry, and I sat in the back, and the word that I would use to describe is I just felt despair. 
I just felt completely defeated. Just like, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear you. That's not what I'm supposed to do, although I want to do it. And so I went home and, you know, and, and we had some time to continue to struggle. And I actually kind of forgot about that. Well, on Tuesday, the room that I sat in that time, just feeling despair like I was done with ministry, was the same room I got on stage on and got to share about starting a church in a pandemic. And I had one of these moments where you just saw the Lord's faithfulness. I don't know if you've had a moment where you just, and it, it was kind of weird because it didn't click until Tuesday night when I got home. Tuesday night I get home and Beth was saying, how'd it go? And I said, you know, actually, let me share. And it all started to kind of click. And I just saw this thing go. And there was this huge reminder for me that really none of this is about me. That being a pastor, being a minister, starting a church, being fired, being a student pastor, speaking at a thing, None of those things are about me. In the end, they're all about the gospel, and they're all for the glory of God. And in the end, the only question on the table is, am I going to remain faithful? And so I want to start this morning, because this is Ephesians 3, with just this idea and this question. And if you're following along, we're going through the book of Ephesians together. Uh, we'll be there in a minute. I'm going to kind of do some things to get us there. But we're going through the book of Ephesians, kind of verse by verse, looking at what Paul said to the church at Ephesus. Uh, we have some journals. If you're first time, you can take some notes in there. But the thing that I would encourage you to write down is, have I remained faithful? Just really simple. Have I remained faithful? Is, has God, like in the areas that God has called me to remain faithful, have I? Uh, the areas I wrote down, I think are simple, just like big picture. Have I remained faithful to God? Not, and here's the deal. Not, nobody's perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Okay. Um, we're not perfect. Okay. Have I remained faithful to my family? Have I remained faithful in godly obedience to what God has called me or do to do or asked of me? And have I remained faithful to the gospel? And so Ephesians three is this, this account of Paul saying, here's what it looks like to be a Christ-centered missionary. Paul really is going to say in Ephesians 3, I'm a Christ-centered missionary. You are one as well. Here's what it looks like. But before we get there, I want to give you, continue to give you context. So we've been kind of looking at Acts 19 to see this holy disturbance that took place um, in Ephesus. So if you don't know the backstory, Paul shows up to Ephesus before he ever writes these letters. He shows up and he kind of throws the whole city into turmoil. He makes people mad. The stars causes a riot. And it causes this, this phrase we use, the holy disturbance takes place. Because a bunch of people get saved, like radically saved, and a whole bunch more are questioning everything. And Paul really turns everything upside down in this incredibly godless culture. And then right at the end of Acts 19, it becomes very clear that if he sticks around, he's going to die. So he's been there two years, Paul's out. And right before he leaves, he does this thing. He, he grabs the elders, the older, kind of mature believers in Ephesus. He says, I'm going to commission you to continue to be leaders after I leave. And you can read about this in Acts 20. I'm not going to do the whole thing. But if you look at verse 17, you'll see what he says. Or you're not there. In Acts 20, I'll read it to you. Verse 17 says, he sent to Ephesus to call the elders of the church to come to him. And they came to him and he said to them, you yourselves know I have lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. So again, this is a commissioning. He's saying, I'm, I'm about to leave. Let me man, be humble, pray a lot. And it says, and with tears and trials that happened through me, through the plot of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring you to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faithful in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. 
So Paul's always suffering. He's always suffering to get where he's going. It's, and he knows it's coming. But then he's going to give two huge statements to these elders. And, and, and you can write down the verse there, Acts 20, 24 and Acts 20, 27. But he's going to give two huge statements. And really what he's doing, he's, he's saying, here are two postures that you should live in. And so Paul leaves these elders with these two powerful postures that should also take root and hold in our lives as we walk through Ephesians. That if we really understand and we're paying attention and buy into what Paul is saying in Ephesians, and what he says in Acts 20 should take root. And so he gathers the elders together and he says this, verse 24. The first thing he says is, but I do not count, account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And he's saying, I don't count my life of any value, anything precious at all. He's saying, it's not about me. Here's really what he's saying. He's giving them this posture. He's saying, man, as, as a Christian and as a missionary and as an elder here, and if you're a Christian, you should hear this. He's saying, you should live with a posture of faithfulness. A posture of faithfulness. Paul is describing a, possible, a posture of faithfulness to the mission of God that should be for all Christians. That this posture of faithfulness is this realization that it's not about me. That, as we said last week, that God made me for God. Denying myself for the mission of God. A, a daily submission. Walking each day and submitting that day to the Lordship of Christ. Man, it's really about, Lord, help me to be found faithful. Here's, here's how I'd write that down. Man, a posture of faithfulness that den denies self. This is what Paul's saying, that I would have a posture of faithfulness that denies self. That denies self. And then in verse 27, he says, For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So he says, a posture of faithfulness, and he says, a posture of obedience. Fully submitted, never shrinking back or denying obedience to his fullest extent. This is a posture of obedience to the mission of God for all Christians. And this is the way we can be obedient to God. See, our obedience to God gets tripped up when we focus on ourselves. This is why he's saying over and over, it's not that. This posture is more about, here I stand, I will not be moved. Paul is saying to these elders of Ephesus in his last time with them, that if you're going to make it, and if you're going to be obedient in this calling you have as a Christian and with the gospel, you need to be found faithful, a posture of faithfulness. You need to be found obedient in a posture of obedience. Here's what we're saying. Not a commitment. I don't know how many commitments you've made to the Lord. I've made 60,000 that I didn't keep, right? But, but a posture, a disposition towards the Lord that's different. A posture of faithfulness that denies self. That I'm going to be faithful no matter the cost. And that means I need to serve. I need to constantly be serving. The way I've heard it put best is we serve so hard and so much that we go to bed exhausted. Not leaving time to get in trouble with sin, right? I've heard it put this way, keep your work boots on, keep your tennis shoes on so you can keep going into the work of the gospel. Man, do the dishes, leave the last cookie for someone else, but serve. Man, a posture of faithfulness that denies yourself and then a posture of obedience. So how do I do that part? How do I have a posture of obedience? How do I, how do I as he says it, not shrink back? I don't know about you, but I've had so many times where I feel like I've done that. A posture of obedience that stands on truth. That you would surround yourself with truth. 
When we moved back in December, one of the things I was sad about is my wife takes the kitchen window and like decorates it with cards of scripture and like phrases from famous missionaries and stuff. And there's usually 40 or 50 cards all around the kitchen window. And so if you're standing at the kitchen window, you see these cards and you go, you're just, you're washing your hands and getting encouraged. It's kind of this amazing thing. And I remember as we're packing, uh, I just remember looking at that window going, that's kind of sad. We're not going to see that anymore. And one day I came home from work in our, in our home now and walked in and all those cards are back up everywhere. Because as my wife stands there, she's constantly been putting truth all around her and all around the kids. I mean, you may do this, but surround yourself with truth. I mean, I mean, put scripture in front of you. And then there's also this, I mean, if I'm going to have a posture of obedience that stands on truth, it means I've got to be careful for what I'm going to put in. I can't put in falsehood and claim to live out truth. So, so to understand what Paul's going to say in Ephesians 3, and really to understand all the Ephesians, we've, we've got to understand what he would say to those elders. And that was just that posture of obedience, posture of faithfulness. That for you to accomplish any of this, it's got to start there. All right, Ephesians 3. So it says in verse 1, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ, and he says what? Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Last week we talked about this. We talked about, and you can see it in Ephesians 2, how the Gentiles were hated by Jews. They were the enemy of Paul, and now Paul's saying, now I'm a prisoner to them on behalf of Christ. The mission of Refuge Church starts with this phrase, to see the lost saved. The main idea of chapter 3 is how God appointed Paul and every Christian to be a Christ-centered missionary. That everywhere we go and everywhere we are and all we do and all we see, that we go with this Matthew 28 mentality, this sent mentality. It's why at the conclusion of all of our services, someone stands up here and says, for those who have heard the gospel and believe the gospel, go out living the gospel, you are... This is why we say this, because we believe it. It's not like, bye, have a great week, see you next week. It's like, hey, here's your commissioning for the week. Because you're to go sent. Because members are missionaries. Christians should see themselves as missionaries all the time. Ephesians 3 is what Christ-centered missionaries look like. Paul's going to say we're all called to be Christ-centered missionaries, and here's what it looks like. And he's saying, just like me, I became a prisoner to my former enemies, the Gentiles. They were those who were alienated from God were now the ones hearing the gospel from the one who alienated them. Paul went from hating Gentiles, complete enemies, and teaching others to do the same to becoming a missionary to them. As you start considering who you're called to go share the gospel with, and we'll talk about this later, I mean, I wonder who the enemies are. That's why he has the cred in Ephesians 2 to talk about reconciliation, because he's reconciled to those, and now he's taking the gospel to those. I have a couple points you might want to write down. Number one is a Christ-centered missionary submits to Christ and his leading. Paul was sent to his missionary, to his enemies with the gospel. Please hear me. Paul was sent to his enemies with the gospel. Only God could work there. That was an impossible place of ministry for any man on his own. Paul could not rely on himself, his gifts, his strengths. He was apparently a great teacher and well-educated but on God alone. What this is teaching us, and in my experience, God doesn't send us on mission where it'll ever be easy or convenient for us. It it doesn't play out that way. It's not where you're the most influential in the room. It's usually where you're the least influential, so you're the weakest, so God can move through you. Let me me give you this example. Um, Years ago, I was asked to do a wedding for a family member. If you're a pastor, you get to do this. Have fun. They all expect you to do all the weddings and all the funerals. And when you can't, it's like you failed the whole family. So, um, but that's just my bitterness coming out. So uh, I did this wedding 
And uh, we drove up, and I remember thinking there's going to be a lot of people at the wedding who do not know the Lord. Here's an opportunity to share the gospel, as I should. And I remember praying all week and preparing and going, I can't wait to stand in front of all these people. And I got a little cocky, just if I could be honest. I got a little bit, I'm just going to, it's going to happen. It's going to be great. They're going to think I'm a great preacher, great wedding guy, and they're going to hear the gospel. It's going to be great. And I, I will never forget, man, I, I walk out with the, with, the, with the groom. We stand there and I turn, and the dude in sixth grade who bullied me to no end, his name was Andy, you can pray for him, okay, he's my enemy, was sitting right there. And like, I'm a grown man, I have kids, and I walked out and went, oh, <laughs> like I just, something came over me, right? And I knew, man, I was supposed to share the gospel in front of all these people, and all I could think about during the whole ceremony was all the times Andy had picked on me. And man, I flubbed through the whole thing, <laughs> messed it up several times. At one point, after the bride came forward, I forgot to tell everyone to sit down, so they stood for the entire wedding, right? And like later, Andy was like, you're not really good at that, and then he walked off. Like this is, but this is, this is, this is kind of the point, man. So often, we think I'm going to walk in and own the room, and so often goes, God, God says, no, I own the room, you just submit. Verse 2. Assuming, he says, that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations. It has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. And Paul understood and wanted the church of Ephesus to understand that the gospel meant the message of Christ, and it is for all people. He's saying you cannot share what you don't know and understand. So he's kind of saying, do you understand it? Do you know it? He's saying you must start, man, with your own testimony, know how you got saved, and then be able to lead others in that. You must start with what God's done in your life. A point number two, a Christ-centered missionary understands the gospel and can articulate the gospel. Like, can you articulate? If someone said, hey, why do you believe that? Can you tell them? Two verses that might be helpful, Romans 5.8, 2 Corinthians 5.21. These are verses that in one verse you can explain the gospel with. I don't know if you've had the experience, and I pray you have, of sharing the gospel for the first time and it going horribly wrong, but I'll never forget the first time I shared. I was in college. I was a new believer, and I, and I, I promise you, man, I, for, we had this three-hour drive. I was working at this company, and on the way there, I was riding with a guy named Jake, and I just felt, man, just the whole ride that I was supposed to say something to Jake. About an hour and a half in, I leaned over and said, so what do you believe about aliens? That was my lean into sharing the gospel. That was the best part of the whole conversation. It just went worse from there, right? And then he went to sleep. I mean, like, but, but, but this, is, this, is, this is the point. We've got to start doing this, familiarizing ourselves with talking about Jesus. So often we're so un, man, afraid to share because we've never shared before. We don't have the words to say to articulate. Verse 7 of this gospel, Paul says, I was made a minister according to the, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me. There's a little bit of insight in verse 8 of how Paul really views himself. This isn't one of those kind of humble brags, but he's saying, like, I'm, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the very least. I want to be the very least. To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light, verse 9, for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And you get this, Paul knew his calling. 
Paul knew his audience and Paul knew his role as a Christ-centered missionary. His calling was to take the gospel to those who had never heard. His audience were the Gentiles. That's why he says it over and over. They were my enemies. Now they're the ones I'm supposed to take the gospel to. And his role was to preach and to declare and to start churches. When the, the third point, a Christ-centered missionary identifies the what, the where, and the who. So your calling. What is your calling? So we know it's to take the gospel of those who have never heard, but be more specific. What is your calling? You have to answer that. You have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, what is my calling here? What am I supposed to do? Second question, who's your audience? That one's a little easier. Who do you interact with the most that doesn't know Jesus, doesn't have a relationship with Jesus? And the secondary question is, who do I need to interact with more that maybe I avoid because they don't know Jesus? And the third question can be, where do I need to go a little more to interact with some people that I don't know consistently that I could share the gospel there? I mean, ask God to reveal your who and he will. I have this uh, on my phone. I have, a, and, and I have an album that I've created of several people that I have a picture of. And, and on Mondays and Tuesdays, I just kind of like, I pull them up and I pray for them. And they are lost as heck. And I pray for them because I want them to know. So you're calling your audience and then your role. What is your role? Your role is to share the gospel. What else? To pray, to serve, to, to love. Verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Listen, God wants to use his church to prepare you as a missionary and send you as a missionary. God wants to use his church to prepare you as a missionary and send you as a missionary. The church prepares you and sends you on mission. We cannot dismiss the role of the church in this. We can't dismiss the role of inviting others into this. Refuge Church will be a sending church. Not a hope, not a prayer, not an idea. We will be. We will eventually be sending leaders out to start other churches and sending others along with them. The way we said it earlier, there's going to be a point where you walk in and you don't know half the room because we just sent half the room somewhere else. The goal can't be to grow something huge. It's got to be to go. Jesus didn't say, let's grow, make disciples. He said, what? Go make disciples. We've got to go. We've got to be a sending church. We want to go, not grow. This is Matthew 28. The word send needs to be something you're really comfortable with. You need to know at some point, God may send you and we will celebrate that. Send, send, send. This is the gospel that we would send people, not own people and keep people, guys. Number four, point four, a Christ-centered missionary places a high value on the church and their role in it. And your role may have been somewhere else for a while and it may be here for a while and it may be somewhere else for a while. And I just pray that you're sent and you go with the gospel wherever you go. Man, we are there. Like, if we talk about the church in a high view of church, it means we realize that we need to be there. We need to be committed. We realize we need to serve. If this is your church and you're plugging in, man, find your place to serve. We realize we need to give. We don't talk about money. We don't pass a plate. We, we do talk about money. We will never pass a plate because that is for people who, who this is their church home. But, but you realize that. We realize our commitments encourage, encourages and serves others. You being here encourages and serves others to be here. We realize God grows his people through the gathered body. Man, man, God grows us. Seeing other people worship and sing and open the scriptures encourages us, look at me, sometimes just to keep going. We realize corporate worship and prayer are a necessary weapon against the evil one. 
And coming together, hearing others' voices, singing and praying. These things are important. Seeing others exalt Christ. And they are a necessary weapon against the evil one that we only have and we're together. We realize the church is God's chosen tool for the salvation of man. We realize the proclamation of the word of God through preaching to the gathered body is where God instructs, convicts, and sins. And then we realize our role in the church. We all have a role to play no matter your age. I shared this early and I'll share it again. Miss Barb, who leads our children. I went to her in February and said, last year and said, hey, Miss Barb, about a year ago and said, hey, Miss Barb, would you consider giving some leadership to our children's ministry? And she said, oh, she kind of looked at me scared. And then she called me later that week and said, I'll do it until someone better or somebody else comes along. And let me be really clear, and you as parents need to go tell her this. She does an incredible job. She is unbelievable back there. She is constantly thinking about how can I equip parents? How can I equip families? How can I serve? And how can I teach the gospel to the kids that are back there? We had a couple named Bernie and Darlene who sit right here in the first service. They are an older couple. Miss Darlene has a walker. She's back there teaching some of your kids right now. That's the role they're playing. They're teaching them the gospel back there. This is, this is the role, man. This is the role. And when you find the role you're supposed to play, man, God uses you. Man, we realize we have a vision for churches to be where they are not. Man, as you ride around in our community, in our city, you start to see there's no church there. There's no church there. There needs to be a church there. There are lost people here. Like that should be a realization. Verse 12 says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart. Look what he says, over what I'm suffering for you which is your glory. If you go back to the, the, remember the role and, and all these things, part of the cost for Paul was suffering and he knew it. If I want to take the gospel, it's going to go through suffering. Paul reminds us here that we have boldness, that we can have boldness and access to God through faith in Christ. We have personal access to God because of our faith in Christ. Ready? All missionary pursuits start in fellowship with Christ and are fueled by intimacy with Christ. This is the point of what he's saying. The whole thing's got to start with you and Jesus one-on-one. All Christians are called to be missionaries. This is not a term reserved for someone who goes to a tribe in the jungle. You are a missionary. I'm a missionary. And God has work for you and I to do. God, people's eternity hangs in the balance of your obedience and my obedience. We need to kind of carry the weight of that. All missionaries work starts with fellowship with Christ. My obedience to Christ is the, in the mission of taking the gospel to those who have never heard will only be fueled by my intimacy with Christ. Please hear that. My, my desire and my pursuit of being a missionary is only fueled by my intimacy with Christ. No intimacy, you're going to be ineffective. Great intimacy and great fruit. It starts here. Number 5.5, a Christ-centered missionary starts with fellowship with Christ. Starts with intimacy with Christ. Starts with you spending time in the Word and allowing God to speak to you. Starts with praying. We gave you prayer cards. You have a way and a reason to pray. And I don't know if Alex told you earlier, we're going to gather on March 7th for a prayer walk. And we're going to pray intentionally some very specific things for God to move. Um, let me share, share a story with you. Um, when I was in high school, uh, I knew a guy named Craig. Uh, we played football together. We were friends. He had a locker next to mine. He was a, he was a year younger, but a same grade or something like that. And uh, so we got to be pretty good buddies. We got hurt or injured the same year playing football. 
Um, man, just a good dude. God hung out with a lot. I can remember being in his house. I remember um, he came to my house. I just remember knowing this guy. And typical high school because he was in a different grade. After I graduated, I never spoke to him again. You, if you've graduated, you've had this experience, just friends you don't see anymore. And a um, couple of years later, I saw him at a store. I remember seeing him and going, and we just kind of had that you know, moment. And we, we stood there and talked for like an hour and a half. Um, and uh, finally, at one point, one of us, I think it was him, he walked away like, hey, I got to go. And I said, That's, yeah. We just talked and reminisced and talked. And here's what I remember about that conversation. And in this conversation, I can see his face. I remember standing there the entire time and just feeling the Holy Spirit saying to me, share the gospel with Craig. Ask him if he knows me. Share the God. And I, and I mean, like to this day, I swear it felt like it got louder. I feel like I could feel my heart and my chest moving. I remember turning my body to the side. Like, does he see that? Like just, and the whole time, and can I just be like really blunt with you? I didn't. I was scared of what he would think of me. So I didn't. Two weeks later, Craig was killed in a car accident. Craig was lost. Craig didn't know the Lord. Great guy. Never been to church. And I remember seeing the newspaper and seeing Craig had fallen asleep, driving down the road on the interstate, ran off the road and died instantly. And I just remember thinking like, was, is, is, is that on me? And, and, and that's a question we get into another day, but I, I will say this, like, I don't ever want to forget that feeling or that thought. Is that on me? Charles Spurgeon once said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if, if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. And just being really honest, Craig went, I believe to hell unwarned and unprayed for. As much as I know about him. I pray that at some point he made a profession of faith that I didn't know about but the question for us is, man, if we are going to be Christ-centered missionaries, who in our life needs to hear the gospel, needs to be warned, and who in our life needs to be prayed for? We're going to sing a song for a minute. The song's a powerful gospel song. Man, as you sing the song, could I just encourage you to kind of close your eyes and let those faces of those who were lost flood through your mind? Because if we really believe there's a real hell and we really believe the gospel is true, then we will have a conviction to go out and do something about it. That's the whole thing. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. God, these messages of, of now go and share the gospel, tend to, tend to, we tend to preach them a lot with not of a lot of activity that follows. God, would you, man, just put a posture of faithfulness and obedience in our hearts. God, help us to have vision to see those who need you, who are far from you. God, give us a desire for you and your word. God, and give us boldness that as you tell us something to say, we say it. God, and help us to believe your word and it says that even we're standing there, Matthew 10, 19, you will give us the words to say so it's not on our own strength, our own wisdom, our own knowledge, God, but you will speak through us. God, use us and draw us to you. And now, God, as we sing to you, help us not to check out. God, limit distractions. God, but rather continue just to fellowship with you.